thank you uh, so much, everyone, um, and everyone's here listening. Thank you, Javier. Javier, I wanted to, I've, I've extended my respect to everybody on the panel, but I did want to especially extend my respect to you, um, you know, because a lot of what I'm going to try to do in this presentation is actually to give courage, <laughs> literally to encourage people um, to stand up for, um, you know, your principles and you know, it's, it would have been very easy to back down in the face of this absurd, um, <laughs> absurd person that wrote this absurd thing. Um, but, you know, it, you continue to, to hold the course. And I think that is so important. You know, that's the, that's the whole point of everything that I want to say today. Um, Anti-Palestinian racism. I just want to say, uh, I've just been reading this um, Edward Said. It's like a little book of interviews uh, with Edward Said, who was one of the you know last generation's important um, Palestinian activist uh, intellectuals. He just said in this interview with David Barsami, I mean, he said, we appear, what has killed us in the last 30 or 40 years, he's writing in the 1980s, so 40 years ago, is the denial and the fact that they meaning Israel, are not responsible. So we appear as if we are orphans, as if we have no origins, no narrative, no genealogy as a people. Our genealogy is only comprehensible, in my opinion, if Israeli action in it directly upon us is acknowledged. So in a way, it's like what Mark was just saying about Nakba denial. It's like you cannot... You know, as a teacher, as, as, as educators, the whole point of education is to give students a context, give students a, a enough knowledge that when they see things in the world, when they see headlines, when they see stories, when they're having conversations, when they're reading the news, they have some idea what, what it is that they're talking about. If the, if the very facts of one of the most important uh, items of conversation in the news are denied and repressed, it is impossible to give students that that um, equipment that they need. I wrote um, a, a resource, a, a page on uh, anti-Palestinian racism in the West. Uh, and by the West, I mean very specifically about five countries, Canada, the UK, the US, France, and Germany. There would be a massive a tome that would be needed to write about anti-Palestinian racism by Israel, and that's a separate um, area of study. My intended audience is people here, and the main point of the resource, there's one main point, and that is if you're talking about different rights for different people, that is racism. If you believe that there's one group of people that has one set of rights and another group of people that has another set, you're, talk you're in the realm of racism already. And that is the, the central point from which everything else that I'm saying follows. There's a detailed discussion in the resource uh, about asymmetric language, asymmetric rights, the straightforward muting of Palestinian voices in mainstream media and social media, the intimidation of people who want to write and speak or teach about it in this very city that we're in, even about this specific event. Um, the rewriting of history for racist purposes. So all of these are, are gone into with some degree of evidence and argument. The point is to give you some language on how to talk about this and how to think about it. But what I want to do in the next, I don't know, 10 minutes is to give you, if you know, the assumption is that if you're watching this, you are some kind of an, an educator and you're trying to think about including Palestine in your anti-racist education. 
and I want to give you some literal encouragement, like courage. <laughs> I want to talk to you about courage. Um, and the reason it's so hard to talk about Palestine is because anti-Palestinian racism is, you know, the old trope, which is not, I know, true about drugs, that marijuana is the so-called gateway drug because it's so easy to get and then you get into harder drugs from there, which is no, we know that's not how drugs work, but um, racism might work this way. Anti-Palestinian racism in our society is a kind of a gateway racism in the sense that it's not costly to take an anti-Palestinian racist position. It's actually usually beneficial to your career because it's invisible and because it, it's so neatly posed as anti-racist, you can take a stance of racism against Palestinians, which pleases racists on the one hand, and also poses as anti-racist on the other hand. And that's a very special power. Um, that's a very special um, way to get into racism uh, that may not be available to you with other types of racism. Um, if you think about the way racism and related forms of racism, like anti-Arab racism, Islamophobia, um, those, the way that those have worked, um, they also play a role. I'm not going to deny that those racisms play a role in anti-Palestinian racism. Um, but there's a certain there's some specificities that instructors or educators uh, trying to incorporate Palestine have to consider. So whereas it used to be racism was super dependent on the depiction of Arabs or Muslims as terrorists, that's still there, that's still present, it's implicit, but it's less important now, I would say, than it has been. Uh, there used to also be this balance. Um, Edward Said talked about it, you know, we've experienced it many times over the years, the idea that if you have a Palestinian voice, you have to have a pro-Israel voice there to balance. Otherwise, it's a lot like what Behan was saying at the beginning of the of this event. She said, you know, um, you can't assert Palestinian rights alone. You have to have a balance. Maybe they have rights, but then there are people who say they don't have rights, and we have to hear both sides. Uh, we have to hear the racist side and the anti-racist side. But today, especially if you're trying to educate around it, there are other discourses you'll encounter. One is there's a barrier of don't talk unless you're qualified to talk. Okay, and they demand much more in the way of qualification than they would demand as a teacher of any other subject. So you have to know everything. You have to know uh, the Balfour Declaration. You have to know about the Nakba. You have to know European history. You have to know about um, you know medieval anti-Semitism, maybe the the role of money lending and the the demonization of Jews for their role in the economy that they were forced into. Maybe you have to know um, about all the different Arab countries and what their relationships were to their Jewish populations. Maybe you have to know about Germany, you have to know about the Holocaust, you have to know about the Nazis, you have to know about anti-Semitism in France, maybe you should know about the Dreyfus Affair. They put an incredible amount of, uh, of knowledge that you have to know, and you know, I did that, okay, so I can do that. I can do that with anybody anywhere, but if you're just, if you're teaching a justice, a social justice issue 
you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't have to be a professor who's fanatical, who makes it their research area um, of expertise. You should be able to know as much as you know about a broad other area of topics relating to racism and anti-racism. Um, and so what happens is you what, what's really going on is you're, you know that you're being monitored. You know that there are bad faith pro-Israel advocacy organizations watching your every move. And you know uh, that if you slip, they're going to attack you. They're going to attack your school. They're going to attack your, you know, your, your education, your board, and there will be reprisals, maybe even against your students. So what happens is you say, I don't, I'm not really educated about the issue. Um, and what the, the result of that is that you're defaulting to the pro-Israel, to the pro-colonial position. So that's, you know, unfortunately, that's not going to, that's not going to, that's not going to work um, as an anti-racist. So the other one is that um, the use of another type of anti-racist discourse, which is to talk about the idea of safe spaces, um, which is a real and important thing, but which is misused quite deliberately in this case. So in this case, we're not talking about the idea of a safe space where you're free to be vulnerable and talk about your experiences like, you know, like, uh, like Sabrina, um, like Sabrina did um, in this in this event. It's, it's, um, it's about the safety. No, it's about the comfort of people who don't want to see anything to do with Palestine. They don't want to see any natural, any cultural, um, anything. They don't even want to see a free parking sign because uh, apparently that's traumatizing for people who think that a free parking sign says free Palestine. This was some. Uh, this was a tweet that was written by a pro-Israel lobbyist that was widely ridiculed during the recent uh, massacre in in Gaza. Um, so, some moral considerations. Um, remember, as educators, that in their own time anti-racists have always been maligned. Martin Luther King, who is now claimed by everybody, right and left, who, you know, whose speech on the content of one's character as opposed to the color of one's skin, was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Um, Nelson Mandela, um, you know, lauded um, everywhere in the world, uh, anti-racist icon, across the board. Nobody ever opposed, nobody ever supported apartheid anymore, right? You'll never, this is a famous thing that Palestinians say, they say, you know, in the future, nobody, you won't find anybody who supported Israeli apartheid the same way you cannot find anyone who supported South African apartheid. It's strange. It's amazing. How did that system survive? It has no, <laughs> it has nobody admits to supporting it today. Um, so, uh, Mandela was jailed. He was going to be, he was going to spend the rest of his, his life in jail if apartheid hadn't been overthrown. Um, so in their own time, anti-racists are always maligned, they're punished, um, you know, and that makes, uh, that means um, it's always, there's always a, an incentive to take the easy position, right? To, to take a cowardice, you know, to say, okay, look, I'll just sell out I'll just sell the Palestinians out and that'll enable me to do all this great work um, in all, on all these other files. And if I don't sell the Palestinians out, if I take a stand, if I make Palestine the hill that I die on, they're going to take that away from me and I'm not going to be able to do all this other stuff. The problem with that is um, once you've conceded on that, 
you are not an anti-racist anymore. And, and once you've lost the moral basis for the anti-racist struggle by capitulating on this, it'll be that much easier to make you capitulate on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And by the end, you won't have, you won't have any, any ground to stand on. You won't have any backbone left and you'll be out of the habit of fighting for justice. The good news is that courage is also contagious. And the more people that stand up, the harder it is to punish um, any one of us. Um, again, reminder of the 1950s in the United States, the Senator McCarthy and his House Un-American Activities Committee. Um, they, there were Jew largely Jewish communist teachers, right, that were driven out of their jobs in all over the northern U.S., I mean, all over the U.S., um, but they were mostly in <laughs> the north. Um, and, and they were, the, how, how was that Senator McCarthy politically defeated? He was defeated when people stopped being intimidated and people were, people kind of came to think of McCarthy as a bit of a joke and they went to his, they went to his committee and they made fun of him there. And I mean that, you know, initially can imagine the big, from the beginning of his committee to the end, you know, you get, you've been summoned before the Un-American Activities Committee. That was terrifying. But by the end, it was sort of like, oh, cool, you know, let's, let's go and, uh, and, and pick this, you know, this ridiculous character apart. Um, so that's the strategic consideration. Don't apologize for being anti-racist. Remember the moral credentials of those who are trying to get you to apologize. For me, my test, if somebody is trying to get me to apologize for an anti-racist position, I look for evidence that they don't like the killing of children, of Palestinian children. If I have no evidence that you had a problem with the, with the last 60 or the previous 400 or however many Palestinian children that were murdered by Israeli bombs, if I don't see any denunciation of that, any condemnation of that, any distancing of yourself from that, then I'm not really that interested in your moral condemnation of anything that anti-racists do. Um, you know, don't backtrack. Um, you know, the cautionary tale for me is Jeremy Corbyn and what happened and how he let this um, basically racist campaign let him pick they picked off people closer and closer to Corbin until eventually Corbin himself was taken out. So that's another case where that proves to me that conceding to this kind of racism will never uh, get you anywhere. Um, but things are starting to change. There have been cases where people have come out and said, you know, Andrew Yang in New York, this mayoral candidate, he came out and said, you know, I support Israel no matter what. And then he kind of had to back off a little bit. And there have been quite a few of those cases where they've come out really strong with their really strong racist position and then had to back off a little bit in the face of uh, disgust um, for and contempt for that position. So um, yeah, that's, that's how I would sum it up in terms of what we're facing as educators and what we can do. There's lots to do. Um, you know, and there is a tiny bit more space for Palestinian voices and narratives. The courage of Palestinians, it's awe-inspiring. And if they can do what they're doing there, then we can do our little bit here.